your pleasure on today's live show, upmarket literary historical fiction, mystery fiction, literary fiction, dark fantasy, and even more literary fiction. That's right. Hi, nice to be back with you again. Just about slight technical issues just to begin with, as always happens. But we are here, and it's Saturday. No, it's not. It's Sunday. Saturday in my head still. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kate. And um, we've got two amazing guests here today. Look who it is. Welcome return, Mo O'Hara. Needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give her one, but we will have a chat with her in just a moment. And, well, what can I say? One of the amazing creative forces behind the scenes very often. Also one of the narrators too. Booker, Chief Booker-in-Chief. General run good person. Thank you so much, Kate, for being with us today. Let's see what you're saying about it. Endorsements. My breath is baited. This is Madarika. I just wanted to say thank you, says Madarika, for having me on your show yesterday. That was a few weeks ago. Wonderful experience. Also wanted to request you to thank Mr. Cox, that would be me, on my behalf for giving me such a gracious and generous endorsement on the show. I'm truly grateful. That's very nice of you to say that. Thank you very much, Madarika. We want your reactions, good, bad, whatever. We want to know what you think. Now we're getting to a very interesting stage of the month. And we're halfway through uh, some terribly high-scoring people. The number three spot you can see there with a very impressive 72 points this month is John Pryor. With a dystopian journey through the decayed underbelly of American politics from the viewpoint of an AI entity who wants to vote. Number two, Benjamin Rogers, formerly the month's winner until last week with neither nor. Uh, highly impressive futuristic retelling of the Pandora myth, but storming into the number one position is last week's clear winner, Chrissy Sturt's middle grade fiction set during World War II with a magical twist. Yeah, and that is an amazing score. Um, and this is actually where it gets really interesting, because 76 could easily be the month's winner, but we've got two more shows to go, one of which is today. In the next few minutes, Chrissy could be usurped. Who can say? Um, you can say, actually. That's uh, that's where we want all the geniuses to report to right now. It's the genius room, please. Um, we have a uh, a public notice. Actually, it's kind of um, it's a parish notice, actually. Uh, last summer of the year, I think highly anticipated, actually. Everyone's been looking forward to this. I have been too, actually. So many myths and legends about book proposals and book synopses. We're going to kill them all and sort you out good and proper. Um, that's on the 18th. Booking is not open at the moment, but please do keep it in your diary. And we will see you, hopefully, then. Now, what we're going to see now is the very first submission. It's from Elizabeth, Elizabeth Wolf. QR code there, too. Scan that. You can go off to Elizabeth's personal corner of the internet. I hope that's what it is. It's upmarket literary historical fiction. It's got quite a long title. The Royal Fetus. Now, that's burnt itself into my memory already. Never forget that. The Royal Fetus. A very short novel based on the very short life of King Louis XVII. Hmm. And this is Elizabeth's blurb. After his father, Louis XVI, and mother Marie Antoinette are beheaded 
in the French Revolution, eight-year-old King Louis XVII is sealed into a pitch-dark closet and isolated from human contact. Struggling to survive the darkness, silence and loneliness, Louis tries to make sense of the cataclysmic events that led to the destruction of his cherished family and why the French people hated his parents so much. Ultimately, striving to rise above their moral failings and develop his own moral compass. Let me tell you about Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth Wolfe was born in Detroit. She's an instructor of children's literature and American popular culture for Endicott College, currently teaching online from her home, as so many people are. Uh, Elizabeth holds a BA in English and Creative Writing from Oberlin, a PhD in American Culture with a specialization in film studies from the University of Michigan. This is beginning to sound like a CV. <laughs> her publications included novella, short fiction, and verse in the Seattle Review, Pleiades, one of my favorite constellations, uh, Worcester Review, Pembroke Magazine, Midwest Quarterly, Boston Literary Magazine, and others. Nicely published, Elizabeth. Elizabeth enjoys hiking the Catalina Mountains and cycling on the loop that circles Tucson. And this is a very special day, special for you, Elizabeth, but it's doubly special for us because this is the very first time we're going to get a reading from a voice I think you're going to remember. It's Hannah. The Royal Fetus by Elizabeth Wolfe, read by Hannah. Paris, December 1793. I am King Louis XVII, supreme monarch of France, but my realm of influence is no bigger than a dank, rat-infested, eight-by-ten-foot cell in the tower of a medieval castle. I used to think a king is someone who goes out hunting each morning and returns with dozens of boar, stag, partridge and rabbits to be roasted on a spit and served for supper. My papa kept a book for recording each day's hunt. I thought every king kept such a book so his subjects would know what a great hunter he is. I used to worry that I wouldn't be a good king because I don't like to kill things. Now I know a king is someone whose family is dragged out of bed in the middle of the night and forced to live in a strange place surrounded by bloodthirsty mobs and infiltrated with poison-wielding assassins. When I was born, no one expected me to become king. My brother Joseph, as the firstborn son, was a Dauphin, a title given to the heir because our family crest is a dolphin. But Joseph was sickly and died when he was seven. With my brother's death, I became the Dauphin. My family was still mourning our loss when three months later our life unraveled. I was only four, but I noticed things. I remember things. Now that I'm nearly nine, I remember more clearly than ever. Our troubles began in the autumn of 1789. Four years earlier, Versailles, the 6th of October, 1789. I was awoken by Madame Campan shaking my shoulder. Get out of bed, she whispered. The windows were dark. The only light was from the candle she held. It's not morning yet, I grumbled. Shh, get up. Why? We're going to the Queen's bedchamber. 
My sister, Marie, was already up. Madame Campan hurried us along the hallway. At the top of the stairs, I pulled back, nervous about going down in the dark. I was afraid I would tumble to the marble floor and crack my head open. Go, Madame Campan said. Hurry up, Dinglebat, Marie said from the bottom of the stairs. Marie was eight and bossy. Madame Campan blew out the candle and set it on the floor. She scooped me off my feet and hurried down. She set me down and grabbed my hand to drag me along another dark hallway. Only then did I notice the sounds of people in the garden, yelling and shouting like Maman's friends when she sets off fireworks. Who are they? Marie asked. Shh, Madame Campan hissed. What are they celebrating? I asked. I heard glass breaking, wood cracking. The shouting grew louder. They've broken into the chateau. Marie sounded afraid. Whoever they were, these were not Maman's friends. The shouting built and crashed, built and crashed, like waves on the shores of Normandy. Hurry! Two Swiss guards stood at the double doors to Maman's bedchamber. I have the princess and the dauphin, Madame Campan whispered. The guards opened the doors and we rushed in. Maman was standing by the bed in her chemise. Maman! I ran into her arms. My little sweetheart, she cooed, hugging me and kissing the top of my head. She pulled aside her nightstand and tapped on the flowered wallpaper. The wall cracked and caved inward, revealing a secret passage. Maman lowered her head to enter. Come, she whispered. I stood at the opening, my mouth gaping. I had heard of secret passageways in fairy tales, but I never knew we had one of our own. She didn't even have to say a password like open sesame. Go, Marie hissed, shoving me into the hollow darkness. I tripped on the first step, falling to my hands and knees. The stone was cold and rough. Dank air wafted up from the depths of a bottomless stairwell. It smelt of a mausoleum. Maman disappeared up the, steep, up the steep winding stairs. I crawled to the next step on my palms and toes, like the monkey in our menagerie. Wait for me, I cried. Just go, Marie whispered harshly. I heard shouting from the other side of the bedroom door. All right, now let's see what our geniuses make of this. Very interesting submission, actually. Quite unusual. Um, it's a lot of people saying, well done, Hannah. Absolutely, well done, Hannah. Thank you very much for joining the team, our happy band. Um, and RG, RG Wizzy says, the Europeans use metrics, a small edit point, I think. Um, not feeling terribly literary, said uh, Vagabond, uh, the start of that. Johnny says, a bit of an oddity, can't see what the market is just yet. Emily, wonderful reading, yes, absolutely. Emily's in charge of our happy band of narrators. Vagabond says, I think having the whole thing in the vocabulary of a young boy is holding this back. Lex says, I think this could use some rearranging. Start. This, start with the exciting action scene with the break in, then give us the slow up my biography stuff, Angora. I think we could easily lose the first part of the submission, which is pretty much what Alexa's saying too. Hasn't grabbed Johnny. Michelle, lovely reading. First part reads like a prologue, said RG Woozy. So this is an interesting submission. I'm wondering what you make of this, Mo. 
It's hard. So I'm. I, I somebody mentioned that the you know the voice of an eight year old is holding it back, but I'm actually mm. thinking it's not really accurately the voice of an eight year old. Ah, um, okay. Yeah. I, I don't think. Um, and and then he's he's narrating the voice of a four year old, which is even more confusing. So he's narrating a conversation where then his sister's yeah. eight and he's four. Yeah, and good point. Yeah. He remembers things as a four-year-old in a very precise way, and four-year-olds don't do mm -hmm. that. They remember mm -hmm. sensory things. They would remember yeah. it was cold, it was damp, it was slippery. You wouldn't say mom was in her chemise and this was this, and the, 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 the details of the room, would, would that would not be in the memory of a four-year-old. That would be in the memory of a historian. So yeah. it's kind of like... So, so, so it's, it's not an accurate voice. Yeah, I think the voice didn't ring true to me as an eight-year-old, and then it was very confusing having an eight-year-old narrate a memory of a four-year-old. Yes, it's, it's, that, it's that even more difficult like, for the author, isn't it, actually? Yeah, I think yeah. I think that was a really hard ask. So, um, where where are you? I'm maybe I'm the only one who's a bit conflicted about this, but I do think it's I think it's a very brave submission. Actually, it's really interesting. Yeah. It made me yeah. um, it made me think straight away of uh, the Last Emperor. I think that was Bertolucci. I can't remember. I might have got that hugely wrong. Uh, I think it was Bertolucci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there was, I think there was a book before then, but I don't know who did the book. Um, it's got that sort of vibe to it. But yeah. the thing that is conflicting me a bit is, I know it's not supposed to be YA, but do you, it's got a bit of a YA feel to it. Yeah, uh, which is I'm just, weird with an eight-year-old protagonist. Yes. Right? So it, it yes. does feel very historical. There's some historical upper middle grade. Yeah, there's um, a lot. Of, there's a lot. There's a lot, which is yeah, why I'm, and, and, I'm wondering really whether we shouldn't be saying to to Elizabeth maybe consider reorienting this to yeah. to MG. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, making it more. Yeah, because if if he was even like a twelve year old, he would be that much more articulate, and especially if he was a twelve year old yeah. school in royal ways, he would have a certain. I don't, I don't know if he survived um, till twelve. Yeah. <laughs> he might not. Oh, no, he might have been decapitated. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, you want to change history, that's bad for historical fiction. Well, let's, let's yeah. go to Kate, get Kate's first reactions. Mm -hmm. Meantime, Mo, don't forget to press your voting buttons. Okay. What did you, what did you reckon to this, Kate? I think there's definite commercial potential to this, but it's it's got to be done in the right way. And I completely agree with Mo. Um, I'd written here more sensory description needed, mm. and I'd also written that, and I agree with Lex that um, we we had too much exposition too early on. We probably could have been okay with the the first paragraph or maybe two, just giving us a moment. But then, I think Mo put her finger on the problem of an eight year old then narrating a four year old. Mm. However, I think um, it can work really well if it's done well because I've just actually finished reading a book which has been uh, a massive hit particularly since it got picked up by the book talkers which is um, Madeline Miller's Song of Achilles and that oh, yeah. is, I mean it's Greek mythology yeah. retold and it's yeah. retold from the point of view of Patroclus and it starts with him as a very young child mm -hmm. and it's told completely from his point of view and I think to get over the problem that most picked up on there, just cut that business of I'm king of a, of a dark room mm. and actually just start us with that action mm. um mm. but give us really submerge us in that world you know mm. tell us about the, the the scratchy feel of the the nightgown yeah. on your skin yeah. and the, you know and 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 things like that yeah. that really sort of bring alive um sort of 18th century france to us but also 
put us in that moment and then we can follow Louis's journey from when he's very young and then by all means take him through I mean it, Madeline Miller did a great job telling the story from a child's viewpoint and then taking them right through to adulthood and that was classed as YA uh, that one I think although you know having read it as an adult I don't think it, it's one of those where it's relatively ageless you'd want to be an older reader upwards but I wouldn't say specifically YA and I think that would yeah. be true of this it's something that you would market at YA but also yeah. the adult market absolutely because yeah. you know the, yeah. it's heavy themes heavy themes um you know is we're looking at the executions and the, and the, the horrendous violence that was unleashed and I think that that could be that could be quite tough even for older middle grade but I think once you once you get above mm. that I mean the mm. bloodshed in in Song of Achilles is, is enormous but yeah, sure, absolutely. But that's yeah. fine because it's, yeah. it's pitched at older readers you know mm. I, I think it's really interesting, though, with the um, <coughs> this because his life. I mean, I don't know what happens later in the book, but I'm imagining all the action is him telling us what's happened to him because he's stuck in the closet for the rest of his time. I mean, what is that? What oh. happens? He's stuck in this closet. So, so is if all I like, the I like that as a device. Actually, I like that a lot. Yeah. So everything is actually a well, recollection. That's quite interesting. Well, it's kind of like did you ever read like the bunker diaries? That's that. That's or room. You know, he, Room, yes. So it's so so it's it's the characters trapped, and then they're flashing back to things that happened, and then occasionally new things happen. But it's it's mostly them being trapped and flashing back to things. So yeah. if that's what this is, then you you all all the more have to make the action bits more exciting. Yeah. And the, the bit in the secret passageway, and how fascinated a little kid would be with a secret passageway, mm-hmm. was cool. Mm-hmm. So so concentrate on those bits. Those were mm-hmm. well. Well, so what are we are we coming straight out because I'm, I'm more and more inclined to, to say this to Elizabeth but are we all agreed that Elizabeth should consider reorientating this to to uh, 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 upper MG I think it would be uh, older, than that. Older, older than that older, older than that <coughs> About, yeah potentially yeah but at the moment the, um, the interest from historical people might be you know yeah, at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of finding it quite hard to, to see the adult audience for this. But I could certainly see a younger audience. And, you know, as per Harry, Harry Potter, then everybody gets permission to read it. It's quite interesting how these things go in vogue. I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't sell anything to a YA market involving ancient Greece for love or money. And now, it's, it's yeah, so, you, I don't know, Elizabeth, you might you might be setting off a new trend here, possibly. You got a 62, it's a very solid vote. Um, we, we like that title. A lot of people like that title of yours. Um, but it, I think it's really a question of marketing. Where are, you, where are you going to take this? Where are you going to take this to? And I think it's our solid advice and commercial reasons, really. You need, you need to think, think of a YA market. Thank you very much. Thank you, Elizabeth. Let's have a look at our second submission of the day. It's called Redemption. It's from Tracy. QR code as well. Mystery fiction. Oh, yes, like me a bit of that. This is Tracy's blurb. The danger of an escaped convict heading home and some mysterious deaths around town are getting in the way of Sheriff Justin Miller and high school senior Clayton Langford leaving Plattsville. After all, the town can't escape his murderous past and a Native American legend that might turn out to be more than just a legend they often do (laughs) very often actually uh let me tell you about tracy um dr tracy d wood has been everyone's writing about themselves in the third person today um has been educating public elementary students for 23 years 
and un university students for over a decade. After earning a PhD from St. Louis University and National Board of C Certification, I was going to say National Film Board of Canada, um, he created a successful podcast called We Used to Be Friends. Now, that might be uh, the link, actually, in which case check it out go there uh, and is published through the international electronic journal of elementary education he has a blended family hopefully nicely blended not liquidized uh, with eight kids and a very spoiled dog as i can imagine eight people feeding that like canine all the time good grief this i'm delighted to say is from johnny redemption written by tracy wood read by john Miles Sanderson had driven this road at least twice a day for the last 43 years. He started driving State Road East 23 in his pop's rusty Ford pickup truck when he was 14 years old. The ball tire slipped over each piece of gravel as Miles raced home after a long day on the job. Working at the lumberyard in Plattsville for most of his life hadn't been the most glamorous work, but it paid the bills. Most of the time, he almost felt guilty calling it work. Almost, but it was easy money for him at this point. Everyone loved him. He could talk to anyone and listen even better. Most everyone at the lumberyard called him friend. Over the past couple of years, the assistant manager, Gerald, would occasionally talk to him about retirement. Miles found Gerald to be a good guy, even though when he first got to Plattsville after accepting the assistant manager's job, he told Miles he couldn't drive the forklift anymore. Gerald had been nice about it, but still, it was difficult for Miles to stomach after working for the lumberyard since he was a teenager. Caldwell County didn't have much for restaurants or shopping. Kansas City was by far the biggest city around, and Miles hated to go there anyway because of how hard it was to navigate. Way too many people, way too much crime. It was overpopulated, and it had the state penitentiary. The idea of a giant warehouse filled with murderers, thieves, and other miscreants never sat right with Miles. He didn't like it. Not one bit, even if there was a super Walmart. Miles liked shopping at the convenience store better anyway. He figured, even though his cereal and beer cost more, he made up for it by saving gas money. Miles drank way too much. He often thought that maybe all the drinking had contributed to his shaking episodes that were causing the accidents at work, which started over the last year. His wife had kept him in check with that, but since she passed 18 months ago, he felt a little lost. Neither always seemed to be a Miller light in his weathered hand, or nearby, even at work. Miles was drinking now even though he was driving. He knew it was a bad idea, and had been against the law in Missouri for over 30 years. Then again, Miles knew this road so well, he could drive it in his sleep. He had ridden in his dad's truck when he was a teenager on this very same road. Most of the time, he would lay down in the truck bed and stare at the stars unless his mum was with him. She didn't think it was safe. He remembered the road looking much the same as it did right now. His mum would tell them stories, some of them pretty far out there. Ghost stories are other scary ones she had grown up on. When she would get to the surprising part, he would look over at his dad driving with one arm of the wheel, and his dad would feign surprise and then wink at him. She loved to tell stories her grandmother told her. Many of them focused on the Civil War or the area's rich Native American history. He loved those stories no matter how creative they seemed to be. The 1970s Ford pickup cruised down the gravel road and every once in a while, due to his singing, Miles would swerve a little too much to the left or to the right. He never saw anyone or hardly anything on this road anyway. 
He loved to sing with country and western music and sometimes he'd close his eyes and really let loose. He was singing an Eddie Rabbit song when he was interrupted by a loud, egregious belch that shook him out of his stupor and made him momentarily focus on the road, poorly lit by the truck's weak headlamps. The right light flickered occasionally and Miles knew he'd needed to replace it soon. He also knew that he'd rather spend his money on his favourite beverage. And newsflash, newsflash, newsflash. After this, we will be cutting direct to Mohara to explore a revelation, literally something I've just learnt about her that I can't wait to share with you. It, it will be earth-shattering news for you, so something to look forward to. I'm going to come straight to Kate for your first reactions to Redemption, please. This writer really can write, um, that's clear. Really confident prose, you, you feel like you're in safe hands um, in that sense. And also, this is a writer who really knows the world they're writing about. I mean, that's what you feel. They, they have got under the skin of all the characters and the place, and they really know their world. I think what's needed is to get us in the world in a different way, though, because I think what's mm. happened is the writers left the scaffolding up, left the backstory in there, which is great for them to know in their head what they're doing, but they need, to, ideally, I think, to grip us, to really hook us into this world, but, which certainly is quite beguiling, um, but is through action, I think. We need to learn more about the character through what they do. I think the first couple of lines were lovely, actually. That mm, was a really nice yeah. beginning, but then I felt we needed to cut into the action we needed to be in that cab of that pickup truck with that guy belting out his favorite country and western song and we, we needed him doing that and then belching and whatever else but we needed to then really get a feel for him through his actions because mm -hmm. once it started to descend in, into what well, descend is a bit unfair but once it became biography mm -hmm. then i think we were being held at arm's length a bit too much as readers when really we want to be right there with the character and we want to start empathizing with the character or at least relating yeah. to the character yeah. and i think that's that's what's needed to, to get this one much much stronger i'd also say on the subject of the blurb i found the blurb quite confusing i think there's a i think there's a really good idea there but i think again as a reader who has come at it completely cold i'm, I'm not quite sure what you're telling us there so i think again you need to look again at the blurb and just make it clearer also the title really needs to be punchier and stand out mm. more because i yeah. think redemption has come up quite a lot as a title yeah, it thinks so absolutely. i think there are a lot of it this has got a lot of potential it's got a lot of promise and this writer knows what they're doing in terms of creating prose but i think just some 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 sort of some selling techniques yeah. need to be looked at i think that's really what, yeah. what the writing that's quite great analysis Kate, actually. i can't i can't add anything at all to what you've just said and i think it's it's very much the, yeah. the view of the of the chat room to the genius room uh yeah. Cora says some lovely writing but a bit too much telling and exposition i'd like something to happen now and andy said earlier um he's quoting he could talk to everyone but listen better it's lovely that's enough character development now action please um and i'm guessing from your uh vociferations mo you agree yeah, I think that was, uh, yeah, I think that was spot on Kate's, Kate's assessment yeah. of that. It, it is, it, 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 the way that he crafts the description is lovely, but mm. it's all description. Mm. There's no dialogue and there's no action. So I want to mm. hear him singing along to a country song and swigging and belting. Yeah. I want to hear him go, oh, shoot, da, 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 da. 
you know, um, I, I want that. I want to hear what his voice sounds like because it's a little too self-reflective. Hmm. I mean, he's very much, he's very self-aware for your average guy who works in a lumberjack yard as a as a assistant manager and has his entire life he's very self-reflective they are very self-aware people how many how many people do you actually know like I that i mean you're, you're just you're speaking from a position of complete ignorance i, I i'm not saying that he couldn't be but it, it, that's that, our most our, our and is anybody that self-aware oh the reason I'm, I'm doing this is the reason my accidents are occurring at work is because i'm drinking too much um, yeah. Also, yeah. if we drink Miller Light, because that seemed that seemed like it, that didn't seem like the right drink choice to me. I was like, yeah. that that was like a meh, no. Um, but but the yes, hooch, I wanted it? the uh, hooch, Pacino, something. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. He'd have beer, but it would be a different, like not a light beer. I don't think. I don't think he would. Anyway, um, I I think more dialogue, more description, and get to the action, and also he wasn't even mentioned in the blurb this guy it talks yeah. about the young guy who can't leave town yeah a high school senior who can't leave town and a, yeah. a cop so neither of which are this guy so i spent yeah. this entire paragraph or this entire chapter going and they're going to kill him at the end of this yeah <laughs> well that's no, good he's, actually he's if, if you were thinking that thing, ooh, ooh, he's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. gonna die and then that his the, the, his death is going to cause action that's he he's going to be the inciting incident basically that's was John, my feeling the entire time but johnny has um, just so said wasn't Johnny yeah, just said, wasn't Socrates a lumber worker? This is why we call it the genius room, guys. Ah. Um, yes, and I've gone to, back to talking about Cybermen there, which is not a good sign, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it yeah, does link, it links, guys, to what I'm going to reveal to you about Mo in just a moment. Have you voted, Mo? Let's have a look. I've just voted, yes. You've just voted, and it hasn't come through. Yes, but it has come through. Let's have a look at the running total. So far, you've got a 51 there, Tracy. 51, not, not bad, not bad, but... Um, yeah, we feel there's something interesting there that's actually struggling to get out, and um, yeah. I think I think I mean Kate said it better than, than I can say it. So yeah. yeah, just pause it, rewind, listen to Kate. Now <laughs> then, basically show do, show don't tell. There's a lot of just the basic show don't tellness, right? Exactly. Like yeah. Now what we're going to do now with you, Mo O'Hara, is we're not going to ask you to to um, show. We are going to ask you to tell. And I happen to know two astonishing things about you that I think are going to... Are going to I, 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 there are people right now watching live who are going to say, Stone the Crows, I never knew Moahara did that. And you have a direct connection, not just to one, but to two Doctor Whos. Two Doctor exactly. Whos. And you've been coming on this show, I don't know how long, and nobody knew that. Yeah. So, yeah. fess up, tell, tell us what your connection is. Well, I am, I am a complete Doctor Who fan and have been since I was a little kid, since I watched Tom Baker. So I am a massive Doctor Who fan. And two of my favorite acting jobs ever when I was an actor, I was an actor before I was a writer, mm. uh, were working for big Finnish productions, which do the Doctor Who audio uh, productions. Right. Yeah. And I got to work with Peter Davidson uh, in, uh, you know, doing his Doctor Who. Uh, and I got to work with Paul McGann, who is probably wow. the least. He did the movie of Doctor Who, so he's yeah. probably one of the lesser known Doctor Who's, but he's fantastic. Oh, wow. um, so I got to work with two Doctor Who's. And That's do, extraordinary. And, uh, be there, you know, yeah. be there. So I, for, for Peter Davidson, I got to be um, a pilot on a mission to Mars, and I die saving him from Ice Warriors. And then in uh, in the Paul McGann one, I was an evil scientist who was trying to steal the doctor's brain. 
Wow. And which which one was the nicest? Who was your favourite? <laughs> no, they were, they were they were both equally lovely. I was saying. Oh, so come I was on. You can tell me. Tom again was the person who was always like making everybody tea. He was always the person who was saying, "Oh, would you like some tea? Would you like some tea? Would you like some? Uh, can I make?" A tea? Desperate, desperate, insecure well. actor, desperate to please. Insecure actor. Yeah. The, the other, the other great the, to the Doctor Who fellow Doctor Who nerds out there who will be um, listening because we've seen you in the chat room. We know you're there. Um, yeah. I also got to on that same episode work with Nicholas Courtney, who was the Brigadier. Oh yes. And he was I've amazing. Seen, Do you remember the Brigadier from yeah, back yeah. in? Yeah. Yeah. And he is. He's a real life brig Brigadier, is he? <laughs> Yeah, he's he's passed since, but he was the most amazing person. We recorded down in Bristol, so we spent a couple of days down there recording, and we were staying in the same hotel. And I got this knock at my hotel room door. What three o'clock in the morning? Brigadier, Brigadier no, no, calling. No, no, no. Like, like no. Whatever, whatever. Before we go down to dinner, and 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 uh, it's Nicholas Courtney who has a very very posh voice, and he knocks the door. And goes, sorry, sorry, Mo. Um, sorry. Um, have you got any proper soap? Did they give you any proper soap? I can't be getting on with shower gel. What is this shower gel that they, they give you nowadays? I, I think oh. I have fun. I think I have you think in the scary. army that's all they use these days, shower gel, actually? But no, clearly not. Clearly not. Amazing. It was like being in a little Doctor Who bubble, and it was lovely. Amazing revelations <laughs> from Mo. Absolutely. And more, more to come, guys. More to come. Stick around. Submission number three today. It's literary fiction, and it's from Chris. And it's called Within These Walls. And this is Chris's blurb. An orphan and a rich girl, an artist and a nun, and their all-or-nothing quest for love and belonging in Florence and Tuscany in the 1600s. Lorenzo and Beatrice, against all odds, found what they were looking for in each other, but soon their love was lost to local legend. Centuries later, the home they built is still a place of lost love and lingering ghosts, until an Englishman buys it, loves it, restores it and uncovers the secret that's lain for centuries within its ancient Tuscan walls. I'll tell you about Chris. Uh, aside from my writing, I work in publishing and I live in Italy in the Tuscan Valley, you lucky so-so, uh, not far from Florence where this story is set. I spend my spare time here tracking and filming wolves. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, see my wild <coughs> Lunigiana YouTube channel. Yeah, definitely. You should have put a link to that, actually. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that. My next book will be a fictionalised account of how and why I moved to this beautiful, beautiful part of Italy. Brexit was one of the reasons. No kidding. Um, I've had two novels published, The Art of Waiting from Polygon, uh, Lost in the Flames, McNitter and Grace. Both are stories of love and hope set against the tragedy of historical events. Reviews of both have been good. Art of Waiting was one of the booksellers' top five for April 2015 and debut of the month on Love Reading Co. UK and got a good review from the Historical Novel Society. Well, that sounds promising. What's even more promising, and perhaps the launch pad for Within These Walls is going to be a fabulous reading from Kay. Within These Walls by Chris Jory, read by Kay. Stones. October 1655. At first there were just stones strewn across the hillside, the building blocks of dreams. But Lorenzo knew the first time he saw the place. This was it, the place where they would build. Perhaps it was the chestnut woods and their autumn colours and the sweetness of the birdsong, or the far-flung nature of this distant valley in the no-man's land between Tuscany and Liguria far from Florence and all its memories. 
Whichever it was that told him, Lorenzo knew for sure he and Beatrice would build their dreams here. Those few decisive days in August had saved them. The night he freed her from the convent and then their flight down the flooded Arno in the darkness, away from half-formed memories of half-lived lives. Lives full of regret and tragedy and the walls that life puts up around us if we let it. The doors it slams and dares us then to open. Those August days had kicked down the walls, wrenched the doors off their hinges. And beyond those barriers, a new horizon, literal and metaphorical, way beyond anything Lorenzo and Beatrice could have imagined in all their years of entrapment on this earth. Lorenzo had felt so old back then, those few short weeks ago, too old to be starting again, to risk it all, to set his life into flames and burn it down in the hope of something better, something new. But hope was all he needed, and Beatrice had given it to him in spades. Her courage and her love for him, above all her love for him, had made him young again, and he felt an energy now that he had never imagined possible to build the new life he could never have built in Florence. And it would be a life of togetherness now, a life lived as one. It was the least that Beatrice deserved after all she'd been through, how she had revived his prematurely fading heart all those years before in boyhood, singing by his side then, propping up stones with him, and more recently her quiet grace along a marble hall and the silent painting of her portrait, Lorenzo imagining her as he painted her, conjuring her up like the magic that she was and her voice singing timidly in the darkness of the convent, in longing duet with a nightingale singing its heart out in freedom outside, and then a bridge across the Arno, her pouch of glittering stones and the glittering of her heart, and her hand firmly around his, tugging him away from doubt, leading him to the boat, saving him from himself, from the life he had been living, the life he would have lived forever, if not for her. Lorenzo looked around now at the hillside strewn with stones, his gaze taking in the peaks of the Apennine Ridge and beneath them the villages around Bagnone. In the jumble of olive groves, orchards and vines, brown and grey peasants were bent over whatever clump of vegetation was to be their occupation for the day. The nearest of the village houses nudged up against the woods, stone walls lit by the sun as it rose. Lorenzo could see the roof tiles steaming as the sunlight lifted the night's moisture into vapour. He glanced at Lavezzi now, the perpetually grumbling architect, vapour tumbling from his mouth too as he spoke, still muttering something about the inconvenience of the hour. Lorenzo had brought him up the hill with him from Bagnone, Lavezzi griping under his breath all the way, moaning about the early morning mist and the chill, his worn-out shoes and the possibility of wolves, and how he would normally only come this far by horse. He had better be good, and above all well-connected, thought Lorenzo, to make all this earache worthwhile. Who did you say owns this land? He said, turning to the architect again as he spoke. The architect stopped his muttering, turned to look at him, dredged something up from his throat and spat it out onto the ground. It landed on the stones at Lorenzo's feet. Malaspina, said Lavezzi. Who else owns anything around here? 
Let's see what the genie eye are coming up with. Uh, yeah, great reading, absolutely. What's okay? Annie says, I like the detail about her singing. Uh, jump, jump. Uh, it's jumping all over the place. Uh, singing in the comments and him painting her without seeing her. Good fluid writing, says Jeff. Provides a clear mental picture. Has a classy feel. It does, doesn't it, actually, Johnny? Yes. And Ancora, who did the reading, always want to hear from uh, our narrators, says, I thought this had a beautiful rhythm. Lovely writing, engaging. I would definitely read on. But would you, Kate? <laughs> um, yes, probably. Um, I'm being a little bit hesitant because what I should say, first of all, is that that was lyrical prose. I mean, it was beautifully mm. written. Um, mm. Description was gorgeous. And it, it really painted a, certainly a visual, strong visual picture, which, which mm. I really liked. Um, in terms of would I read on, possibly, I think at this point I certainly would, because I usually give books a bit more of a chance. But I, I, I felt like I wanted more hooks and hints. I think that's what yeah. I needed to feel more yeah. more strongly, to, to want to read on more, uh, to be more gripped rather than just interested because it's pretty writing and tears yeah. it's lovely but um, for example this this business about stealing beatrice away from a convent i was like oh oh that sounds interesting but it, it kind of went and then then it sort of popped on and there was this exposition a sort of potted history and i actually felt like in a way i i, I wanted some hints of the, the dramas that, that that could then be brought out as the book went on and I think the thing I was, th I was thinking about Ali Smith, actually, the author Ali Smith, because she wrote a book which um, basically combined uh, a sort of modern sensibility of family. And, and this was also set in Italy and some historical um, mm. story in Italy and, and mixed the two. And I think that that was the kind of idea with this, which I think is a good idea. Yeah. Um, but I, I needed to be a bit more swept up in the emotions of it. And at the minute, mm. I, I felt a bit detached from it, I yeah. think. So I, I think there's, a, again, great idea. And, and this could definitely work. But I think I, I want to feel more. I want to feel more than just admiration for the really yeah, lovely the writing. Prize, yeah, no, which is the, not going to... Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah. Which, yeah, well, I was just going to say one point on the blurb. I, I wondered if, and I might have kind of got the idea of the story wrong, but I wondered if the blurb might work better... Uh, or even better, it wasn't a bad blurb, but if it was turned around, so it's like an Englishman, mm -hmm. you know, gets this house, and then what are these strange echoes of this tragic love story that pulls him Very in and, yeah. and, and immerses yeah. him? Yeah. And, and that actually, for me, would make me more interested in wanting to know the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, some good stuff here, but again, I, I think it just needs a little bit of, of something to, to really yeah. get the emotions going. What you're referring to is a very well-established, uh, it's not even tiny, it really is a sub-genre, it's a time slip, basically, it's time slip. And it's, yeah. uh, uh, people love it, people love it. It's a very effective yeah. um, way of uh, telling two yeah, stories definitely. and they're wonderfully yeah. entertained. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, it yeah. is, actually, and uh, we, we want to see more of that. Um, I've got a bit of a problem with the um, the uh, literary fiction thing, uh, which normally, Chris, means that you can sell about 500 copies. Actually, and it's and, and, you know, and it's it's an indulgent thing to do now. And I, I my my suspicion, but we'll we'll find out in a, in a moment if if I'm right or not, is that you could orientate this quite effectively, I think, towards uh, still at market, but uh, women's fiction. Um, that's my feeling, but I could be wrong. What do you think, Mo? Yeah, I think you you could too. And I I really like Kate's idea of turning it so that 
it's it's a more accessible in to kind of say take this english person who's going into this area and then we're we're entwining the the two yeah. stories with that and then we delve into the historical bit yeah. and we see the parallels and it's always lovely when there are really interesting parallels between the two couples or whatever it is um I it's very satisfying, actually. It's a lovely it's device, satisfying. I think. It gives yeah. meaning and resonance and poignance, and the whole thing is just just there. Yeah. Really. It's very human. Yeah. And I, I thought one of the geniuses made a really good point when they said there are some good lines lost because there are some really dense paragraphs, and there's some beautiful writing. I mean, really hmm. beautiful writing. Kate it, it said, you know, that it does capture the whole landscape. It, it, it You know, the description is is really mesmeric and you want to be there it just makes you want to go to tuscany not that i need many reasons to want to go to tuscany but but yeah. you know it makes me even more want to go to tuscany um but but some good lines some really good lines are lost in yeah stuff kind yeah. of something totally. dead two ways in the same paragraph we'll just yeah. say it once really well yeah exactly no, i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more uh numbers are looking good uh, that can change actually as more and more of the genii decide to vote it can go down too i have to warn you so you know after a minute or two if it goes down a bit people say well, what's going on there it just that means more people have voted and the average drops a little bit but still i think you're looking pretty good there actually uh, chris let's see how uh, the scores are looking so far in the game and oh, you can't complain, really. It's gone up, you yeah. see, from the, a moment. Uh, no, it's still 68, sorry, but you're actually, you're actually not in the lead. Yes, you are. You're in the lead. What am I doing? He's My numbers are going all over the place today, but the scoreboard <laughs> is telling the truth. The scoreboard is telling the truth. We are going to um, come back and uh, possibly even learn more about Mo. I don't know. And the next moment is it. Here we go. This is what Mo's uh, doing. Now, we've had one or two um, authors on Mo who have said they started out doing one thing um, and, you know, had a book or two published in a certain area. I'm thinking about uh, a couple of weeks ago, writing humour. And then the editor said, you know what, you shouldn't be doing this at all. You should be writing uh, commercial women's fiction. And she did that, she's selling hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Did that happen to you at all? Did you, or did you go straight in and stay in the genre that you, you, your heart yeah. told I, you to go to? I think, I think I basically have no other transferable skills. I'm just stuck right. in where I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just me. That's just the me. author that's really without good. an ego. Very unusual. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's, that's just nice. So yeah. I, I have a couple of friends that did that. They started out writing one thing, and then they just found their niche. And one yeah. of them is now writing crime fiction, and one of them is writing romance fiction, and yeah. really just found the thing that they wanted to do from writing very literary stuff or writing kids stuff or whatever. And I, I've gone age range difference. So I've, I've done, um, I started off with like seven plus and then I went down to picture books and then I kind of came back up again. Um, and I'd like to write some older middle grade. I don't think I'm, I don't think I have a teenage book in me yet, but maybe I'll grow up occasionally. I don't know. I, I might what's, eventually. what's the running total so far? <laughs> it's about 20. It's about oh, 20. That's good going, isn't it? It's 20. Yeah. It's and Kate knows yeah. this this area really well from her uh, professional work because I'm yeah. sorry to say she actually does do a few other things apart from uh, book all our wonderful guests here on pop ups. Um, what's what's the, what's the trend in, in this area at the moment? Illustrated picture books. What's what's going on? What's exciting? What's hot? 
Well, I don't have an overview of the of the publishing business in that sense, but what I can tell you about is what the kids at my school yeah, like. That's what I meant. Yeah, um, yeah. And and that's yeah yeah. So um, well, picture books always go down well, obviously with a younger audience and humour. I mean, Mo's. I can tell you that we have a bunch of Mo's zombie goldfish in our library and they are among our bouncier books and i call them bouncy books because they bounce off the shelves as soon as you put them in and um, and they do very well and and because mo has all the ingredients and and in fact i'm getting some i've got on order some of your picture books too mo for the same reasons because what kids really love is they love humor they love silliness they love bright pictures and they love a bit of zap, you know, and like the, the zombie goldfish has quite literally got zap, but also yeah. like the characters are kind of quite cool, you know, as well. But then we've got this sort of hilarity of the dinosaur um, Shakespeare's and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And then now the, the, these picture books. So those things go down great with, with kids. They, they love that kind of thing. I so what, what I want to know, Mo, is you must get letters and emails from readers. I mean, do you, do you ever get any from maybe younger readers who sort of think, are zombie golf is real or what's what's the strange what's the strangest yeah, email yeah, you've had actually, kids kids it, it's the grown-ups that think that kids take things seriously kids kids oh. are actually yeah they, they honestly grown up. are like yeah no no they're, they're like no but there was a zombie goldfish wasn't there mo well, there was a goldfish that we resuscitated. We brought a goldfish back to life by shocking him with a battery. But unfortunately, he exhibited no actual zombie tendencies after. That's a frankenfish, I think. Normal. I think you'll find yeah, that's a frankenfish, not a zombie. Well, but anyway, well, technical that's difference. what the story started out as. He started out as a frankenfish. That's oh, what it was okay. called. And, and okay. actually, the character is called Frankie, short for frankenfish. And uh, But then he's more a of a trick. zombie in like the mesmeric zombies rather than I'm going to eat your brain zombies. Got it. Got it. Yeah. 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 But what's, 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 the, what's the strangest uh, or the cutest sort of communication you've had from readers? Or thre- had threatening emails or anything like that, really? Yeah, yeah no, no, no threatening emails. Um, but no? I've, had, I, I've had some really um, beautiful emails. I had an email from uh, a, a guy who um, had brain surgery and couldn't concentrate, and then his wife told oh. him, well, read some children's books. And he got really into wow. the zombie goldfish books. Wow. And so he, yeah. he emailed me and asked me if I could make a fam- like a tree of the characters so he could keep them straight hmm. Hmm. as he was reading. And he could keep it next to him so he could go, okay, that one's a brother of this one and this one's the best friend of that one. So I, I made him nice. one and I kind of yeah, emailed it to him. I was always I always call him my oldest reader. He's still, he's yeah. like seventy five or whatever. Well, do you do you know of? Of course, that's the thing. Exactly, the exactly, thing. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So from it's five it's to seventy five. That's what they are. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing to do, isn't it? I mean, it just you know it combines all those things really. If you, if you can make money out of it, that's the trick. If you make money out of it, uh, you know, you're not doing bad thing. You're not sort of declaring war <laughs> on think, in a strange countries. You're, you're doing something really positive here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not an arms dealer. I'm fine. No. I'm doing this, but it, it's 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 also getting the reluctant reader, and that's what the um like so the the Agent Moose is a graphic novel, and I think graphic yeah. novels are great for the reluctant reader because how do you get they, those going? So you you do the words, somebody else does the pictures. How do you find the person to do the pictures? The, the publisher does. So they, do they found the amazing Jess Bradley who does does the um the yeah. pictures for this. Yeah. And, and she, they just, uh, Macmillan found her. And she does yeah. Phoenix comics in this country. She does lots of other books. And yeah. um, they just, because they tend to know what they're doing. So yeah. they, 
Yeah. Is that is actually a, a real zombie in the background we can hear, or, or what? What was that? <laughs> I think that's my son. Oh, it's you. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just. Who, by again. the way, is quite a zombie goldfish fan. There he's, you he's, go. Uh, I read some go. of those and enjoyed them. Give more. him a wave. Give him a wave while we have a look at our fourth submission of the day. And it's from. Oh no, it's not. It's from Galadriel. It's dark fantasy. And it's called Fell. This is Galadriel's blurb. When 14-year-old Stafford Polk unearths the skeleton of a giant hound, he opens the gate to an ancient dark legend. Forced to face the truth of his past and stalked by fear he can't outrun, he must release his own darkness. Or forfeit more than his life. Let me tell you about Galadriel. I write poetry and fantasy from a tiny studio at the foot of a castle mound. I'm influenced by folklore and legends, as one would hope with, with a name like that. Uh, dreams and visions, the landscape and the natural world. I also enjoy soul writing and assemblage poetry. I won the Creative Writing Prize during my BA in English. Once I read my poems at a poetry festival in the church ruin where Fell is set and was approached by two small press publishers. Naively, I declined. I won. An MA in Roman myth and history followed, and then I taught English for 10 years. Fell is my first novel. The journey has been a long but fruitful slog. I doubt there's not a piece of narrative theory or how-to instruction left that I haven't either read or practised there. I the feeling. I've honed the bones and flesh of Fell. I hope it shows. That sounds really heartfelt. Uh, and the least we can do, of course, is a fabulous reading from Emily. Fell by Galadriel, read by Emily. Chapter 1 Stafford Pork stomped past what had once been a blacksmith's forge and cottage. The gore of a half-eaten deer lay hidden in their runes. He slashed a stick through a dense cloud of flies that looked like a pile of floating horse muck. The smuts dispersed, then regrouped out of reach, humming louder. Scowling, he began thrashing the hedgerow. Dismembering fern and bramble, he hacked his way down the lane, the oily mineral tang camouflaging the whiff of rot. Back three days, and they still hadn't seen Mum. The one thing he'd asked Dad for. Thwack! One thing to do together. Thwack! Whiskey one. Again. Thwack! He launched the stick over the hedge, rippling the underarm seam of his jacket. He squeezed his eyes shut. Fourteen, and still wearing crappy charity shop finds. Mum would never allow it. He yanked at the tear with his left thumb. Go on, rip! He'd have to have something new then. But even the jacket was against him. He pistoned his shoulders, driving up sniffles. Cryings for sissies, Dad said. Well, these are crap too, he wrenched at the Velcro strap on his trainer, the deformed left hand surrendering all deftness to the right. Gah! He stamped his foot down, then levered the trainer off at the heel. Screw you, he screamed, hurling the shoe. It landed in a grassy verge, out of sight. The lane simmered with a quiet heat. A buzzard mewled overhead, cutting through Stafford's mood. Crows were mobbing it. The buzzard flew higher, dismissing them. Sighing, Stafford checked the lane before removing his jacket and tying it around his waist. Wouldn't do to scare anyone, or have them gawping. Dad's words. He wasn't supposed to get the sun on his arm either. Who knew you could get sunburn on burn scarring? He'd learned like a puppy, whose nose is rubbed in its own piss, never to discuss his disfigurement. 
Deny it all you like. But you know, Dad, you were there, so bugger the sun. Stafford clodhopped to his trainer and shoved it back on. He jumped a gate nearby. Resting against the top rail, he studied the meadow beyond. He'd love to see a fox. He didn't fear them like, Shut up! he snarled. The ground flashed in places where a river flowed like sequined chiffon. Stafford's anger evaporated. He hugged himself, resting his chin in the crook of his arm. Just got to catch Dad at the right time. Then ask. A sprawling copse of trees bordered the meadow's far side. Stafford squinted. Something glowed in its dense shade. Strange. No smoke or flames for it to be a fire. Nor the right colour. Water reflecting? He dropped into the meadow. Closer he recognised the trees as oak and lime. Under their canopy slouched an old barn. Shimmering. Light painted its edges. He slowed, tilting his head. The barn door suddenly swung open. Stafford scarecrowed. Was he trespassing? That was all he needed, someone else telling him to get off their land. He sniper-crawled to a huge fallen oak and hid. Slow as a sunken object surfacing through deep water, movement wavered near the opening. Stafford shielded his eyes. Could be a fox after all. A shaded, scraggy animal crawled out into the overgrown grass and nettles. Stafford gasped at its hunched form, its head twisting side to side. A man! The man convulsed under a haze of flies. He left the undergrowth, loping on all fours, naked, tanned and muscular beneath the filth. He stopped and sucked water from around a clump of reeds, then trailing spittle, lurched upright and sniffed the air. He pushed back dark, matted hair, bathed his face in the sun. A thick leather collar circled his neck. Stafford peered through the oak's roots, mesmerised by the spectacle of a naked man toileting in the long grass. He'd come across rough sleepers before, but none like this. He chomped his lip. Phantom pain tingled the hand severed of fingers. A magpie's warning, chaka chaka chaka, startled Stafford. He watched it fly. The tree's canopies shook loud like rushing water. Stafford shivered. A sudden panicked screeching of a magpie in distress. Stafford craned forward, looked. John, really good reactions there in the genius room. Um, let me see if I can find one that... Um, oh, mule, yeah, that's, that is a good word, isn't it? Uh, I would like to find... Yeah, Johnny, good blend of description, imagery and dialogue. That's what I think. Uh, Emily, of course, I'm a writer. Must hear from Emily. I thought this was beautifully written. Poetic with a lovely rhythm. It was a fluid, easy read. I liked how the backstory and character development was seamlessly woven into it. Is that something you agree with or violently disagree with, Mo O'Hara? No, I thought it was, I was really engaged. I didn't want it to end. And that's always a good sign, right? Like it's, you know, I, I was I was very engaged in the character. Um, it got into the action right away. You got him doing stuff and talking, but yet you had the internal thoughts and you, you just dropped in little bits of the backstory in a really clever way so that we didn't feel like we were being, it wasn't all dumped on us. There wasn't a, you know, an information dump. It was just little bits of, Okay, so there was a there was obviously an accident with a fire. Obviously, his mother was gone. They didn't have money. There was you know there was there was lots of little things dripped in, hmm. um, and then this amazing this man in a dog collar outside in a barn behaving like an animal. 
that you're really uh, interested in. There, were, there was one or two times, there was one time where he said something about like a man toileting, which yeah. I thought is it the thing, is the thing an older person would say, that's not a thing a young person would say. Yeah. So there was one or there were one or two times when I was like, that's not the voice of a, what is he supposed to be, 14 or something? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. Um, or it might, it might be sort just, of antiquated language. I mean, I would never use that, you know, to toilet as a verb. In any case, it's a very strange expression. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's got it, a slightly medieval feel, maybe. Yeah, but then, but then he's he's not in medieval times, right? Because hmm. he's yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He's got his sneakers and the Velcro and all that kind of stuff. Because when it first yeah. started, I thought it was. Uh, yeah, me too. I thought we would do the medieval thing first and then jump forward, but hmm. then it was like. Yeah, it's just rural. It's not medieval. Yeah, it's just rural. well, you see, yeah, <clears throat> kind of the same thing. Having grown up in Norfolk, it's kind of the same thing, really. Um, yeah, what did you think then, Kate? I thought this was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a good, solid title, good blurb as well, especially the first line. Um, the craft of it, again, great. I mean, I loved. Uh, the same as Johnny, I love the mixture, the, the lyrical writing, the blend of description, the drifting into the backstory. I like the fact that we had the hints and hooks that I was after with a couple of mm. previous submissions. So we immediately want to know what, what was the accident that left him so badly burnt on, on his arm? What happened to his mom? What's going on? You know, we get these... these um, suggestions of, of family tragedy, with poverty, alcoholism. You know, there's obviously a lot of stuff. He's, there's a lot of anger in him, that's clear. And immediately it makes us start to engage with the character because we want to know more about him. We sympathise. He's obviously in, a, in having a tough life. Um, and then, yes, and then the attention is, is pulled over to this strange, this strange guy that appears. And mm. um, that reminded me, actually, of David Almond, um, Skellig, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. yeah? And I thought, oh, yeah, because that was brilliant. And, 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 and it had similar quality to Galadriel's writing as well, actually, with lovely sort of use of onomatopoeia, real mm. mixture of sentences, long ones, short ones, one-word ones, um, the bird motif that, that kept sort of coming back. There was just lots of stuff and brilliant foreshadowing in that very first sentence when you know immediately we've got a half-eaten deer and all those flies and then she mentions dismembering and the whiff of rot and all this so you immediately get a sense that there's there's horror lurking and, mm. and ready to come out at us and that again sort of pulls you in because you want to find out what's going to happen so yeah hard to fault that really good i, I would say that's definitely agent ready that one um good yeah Great. Okay. Great. Well, I, I I would I would say you're definitely on fire tonight, actually, Kate. I mean, I can't add anything. It's twice now. I just can't add anything to what you said. So that's great. Kate, Kate can do my job. Thank you. Let's look at the numbers on this, though. <gasps> that is that is seriously good. I'm not sure we've had. A, I think we've had 180 before, but that that that's stunningly good, actually. I was wondering if anyone was going to um, usurp Chrissy's crown, but looks like Galadriel has done that several uh 100 means five stars basically um and several five star ratings here so wow wow it had the bang i really felt it had that bang it it's got that bang like, hasn't it, it? 
Yeah. And you wanted yeah. to keep reading. I didn't want it to yeah. end. I didn't want yeah. well, I think you'll be in a bit curmudgeonly with your marks, Peter. I was on. <laughs> Haven't you noticed? I'm consistently the lowest of the lot, you know? I am, because I'm the realist. I'm the guy who has to go we out and, and, and get the money. So yeah, I am. So I'm sorry about that, guys, but I'm always a bit bit you know, but it does mean if I do vote high, then you know, my God, it's worth it. Um I think that's amazing. We have one more submission today this is where it gets exciting and tense and nervous and all the rest of it because um we might have a well we definitely got someone who's beaten the previous holders high score for the month but we might in the next few minutes have someone who even beats that i don't know stick around and see <laughs> this is it this is it. It's from Patrick. Patrick Youngblood. There's a QR code there. Always encourage you to do that, please. It's so easy. Just swipe it on your phone and uh, you'll go to wherever Patrick wants you to go to. And it's called a scattering of light. A scattering of light. This is Patrick's blurb. When American student Paul Gardner arrives in London in the late 70s, that would be 1970s, to pursue a doctorate in art history, he's befriended by Sir Anthony Blunt the renowned curator of the Queen's Art Collection. Paul, Paul is dazzled by the elderly scholar's wit and panache, but as their friendship deepens, Paul begins to catch glimpses of Blunt's shadowy past. And to his amazement, he's soon recruited by the British government to help prepare Blunt for his public exposure as a Soviet spy during World War II. Let me tell everybody about, about you, Patrick. Um, and yeah here we go a scattering of i thought this was the blurb but it's not it's uh, it's your bio a scattering of light opens with a bizarre but seemingly innocent encounter i i had i had personal with sir anthony blunt yeah infamous character uh, shortly after i enrolled at london's renowned courthold institute of art in 1978 that's a really interesting setup. Although the book is a work of fiction, many of the episodes draw upon my own experiences during the 1978-79 period and beyond, during which I received a doctorate from the Courthold. I have published short stories in many literary journals, including Bloom and Harrington's Literary Quarterly, and articles in a array of newspapers and periodicals, including New York Times, Burlington Magazine, History Today, and Turner Studies. I've lived and worked in Washington, D.C. as a protocol officer and fundraiser for almost 30 years. So I have to tell you, Patrick, I know this place really well. <laughs> because I don't know if you're aware of this, but after the Courthold relocated, because you're talking about the place that used to be the Courthold, but the Courthold relocated to the uh, embankment area, and what used to be the Courthold turned into a club. And I was a member there for a good 10 years or so. I know the place like the back of my hand. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. Even more so because it's coming from Jeff. A Scattering of Light by Patrick, read by Jeff. Oh, excuse me, I'm here, I cried, beating on the locked door. I'm terribly sorry, tremulous male voice responded from the stairwell outside. I rattled the glass knob. Oh, then please let me out. A long pause. Nothing will give me greater pleasure. The voice continued in a vapid, patriarchal drawl, devoid of the slightest hint of urgency. But I'm afraid I've dropped the key. My hands began to perspire. The closet was minuscule, with a sharply canted ceiling, making it impossible.
impossible for me to stand upright. A dusty, low-wattage light bulb dangled inches from my head. I closed my eyes. A faint pong of mildew wafted through the air. It had been a frustrating morning. I'd already wasted an hour rambling around the quarter's disorganised library in search of a monograph on obscure Renaissance architect. And when I finally tracked it down in a closet off the back staircase, the door had been slammed shut and locked almost instantly, trapping me inside. The Institute was quartered in an 18th century townhouse on a leafy square in central London. And although the building was almost breathtakingly beautiful, it was inconveniently laid out for its modern-day incarnation as a study centre. Its vast collection of books snaked in and out of the building's sumptuous 18th-century drawing rooms, spilled downward into its utilitarian basement, and burst up again along its featureless top-floor corridors. There were even rows of leather-bound periodicals in the toilets on the ground floor. After a lengthy delay, the key was inserted, shaken into the lock, and the door creaked open. Before me stood a gaunt elderly man with bristling eyebrows and unkempt hair. He wore a shapeless navy cardigan and a clumsy knotted crimson and gold rep tie. As my eyes adjusted to the gloom of the windowless staircase, my captor's place began to swim into focus. It belonged to Sir Anthony Blunt, the Institute's former director and a permanent eminence grise. I'm profoundly sorry, Sir Anthony said, his hands twitching with distress. It's an old habit from the war years. I used to go live at the top of the building. I simply can't help myself. I close and lock every door I see. You must think me quite mad. Despite his protestations, I couldn't help noting that he seemed less embarrassed than amused. My grandfather used to do the same thing. After an attempt to reassure him, it drove my grandmother insane. So Andy's expressive angular face crinkled in mock dismay. Oh dear, I remind you of a grandfather, he sighed. How depressing. I didn't mean that. I jumped in, eager to placate. He smiled insincerely, revealing large yellow teeth. What a charming lie you are. Eager to extricate myself, I stepped out into the landing and ventured down a couple of steps. And may I know your name? Sir Anthony asked, cocking his head to one side. I'm sorry, poor gardener. The old man extended a long, dry-fingered hand. Anthony Blunt. He pronounced his first name in English manner as Anthony. His grip was surprisingly firm. Uh, yes, I know. I saw your lecture on Bernini the other day. It was amazing. He made a self-depreciating gesture. You flatter me. I've had a ghastly cold the past few weeks. I'm sure I sound like a foghorn. Again, a sense of complacency lurked just beneath his words. A wink and agreement of a however dreadful he may have sounded, the brilliance of his lecture was beyond doubt. A short, awkward silence followed. I love the statue on Linus. I said impulsively, circling back to Bernini. He looks like I was about to bail out a Broadway Joan. Sir Anthony peered at me with heightened interest. Yes, I believe he rather does. He continues studying me as if trying to solve a puzzle. Uh, we don't uh, get many American students at the Institute. Are you a um, recent acquisition? He asked, reverting archly to the language of connership. I laughed it off easily. Happy to meet him halfway. Brand new. I was acquired just this month. I'm delighted we snapped you up. So Anthony said, leering slightly. We need to brand you with the institute's initials. So don't dare one day off. All right. So let's see what the genie are thinking. Shift of focus. Jarring, says Johnny. 
nice characterization, Jeff. Let's see, Jeff, um, Glenn likes the title, Jan likes the title, Jeff said something. I want to see if I can find Jeff's comment. I don't know, I can't see it. Um, Andy, bloke locks himself in a cupboard. <laughs> Didn't really grab me. But nice interchange between the two characters. This is rattling along. And he says, feels the author might have written himself into this a little too much. I can't connect with the main character. Right, so that's the challenge. Um, can you connect, Kate? <laughs> um, well, well, let me say, first of all, I love the title. I think it's a great mm. title, actually. I really like that one. Yeah, I like it. Um, I thought it was a pretty solid blurb, but I felt it gave a little bit too much away. So I actually feel we could have cut back a bit on the information because um, what was hooky for me was the bit about him then being essentially recruited to to bring about Sir Anthony's downfall, public downfall. Mm. And I, I think in a way it kind of told us a bit too much about that. Mm. Um, so, so just sort of make it more more that you're hooking our interest in rather than telling us what's going to happen to, to make the blurb just that bit stronger. But I really like the idea. I, I think it's a really good premise for a, for a story. And, and mm. I, like, I like the authenticity of the author's own um, uh, experience being brought in. I think um, in, in terms of what could make it stronger, a couple of things. Yes, I didn't really feel fully invested in the protagonist quite yet. I didn't really yeah. feel like I was inside his head properly. Yeah. That might have been another sensory description thing that we needed in a way, because there's quite a lot of, the description was quite nice, but it was it was very telling description rather than showing. And I think a bit of direct sensory input to the protagonist so that we could be seeing out of the protagonist's eyes and feeling as well and smelling what the what the protagonist kind of smelt and felt as well would, would help with that. Mm. Um, and another, another thing that I think would strengthen it up would be that the, the dialogue furniture, if you like, I felt was a bit fussy. I thought that there were a few too many words describing how he was saying things and describing, yeah. you know, changes of appearance. Yeah, I felt like the dialogue could have told its own story a, a bit less um, inhibited by mm -hmm. the various sort of things that it was wrapped in. So that I think would strengthen it too. So I think I think there's there's, there's some good stuff there, great idea. It just just needs a little bit of sharpening up to really pull us fully in. That was yeah. my feeling. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh wrong, wrong button. Thank you very much, Kate. Um, no. Yeah, I think totally oh, you, agree you voted as well. So, sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree because I, I think I actually was reading it thinking this would make a really interesting screenplay mm. um, because the dialogue was really good. He writes really sharp dialogue. It doesn't need all that, how he said it. What You don't need that. If your dialogue is good, you don't need to say he said interestingly, he said engagingly, he said you don't need that. Just tell it, use the dialogue. Let it, like she said, Kate, let, let it speak for itself. And he writes good dialogue. So maybe it... I don't know. Maybe it could be a, a screenplay, and then and then in order to the, what they always say at the beginning of a screenplay is you need the save the cat, pat the dog moment that, that introduces. Oh, you, you've read that book too, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, like, that's the thing, right? But but you need to establish something. There needs to be a couple of lines that tells it that, that introduces your protagonist. You can't just have him say, "Oh, I'm sorry," or "Can I get out?" Whatever. It, it um, yeah. I think some kind of little intro yeah. to the. Got it. So we okay. care about it. So I, I, um, 
I, I just talk about the screenplay for a moment. Um, Patrick, don't don't write the screenplay first. I mean, it's, it's, there are millions of screenplays floating around, and you'll never sell it. Honestly, you won't. So uh, focus on the book. But I absolutely, yeah, I can see the cinematic potential definitely. Um, what I love actually, and, and it's kind of it's a bit of a subgenre actually. So Patrick, you've been a bit uh, a bit lazy again, and you've um, like a lot of people today, you, you've called it literary fiction because you can't think of anything else. I think. So I think we're going to try and help you move, gestate it along from you know, from an area that's only going to sell a few hundred copies to something that might be a bit more commercial. Um, I love this idea, particularly interesting to you, maybe, Mo, because you've been through it yourself. Um, I love this idea of um, an American coming to London. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite a well-known device. It has been over the decades, one way or another, various books and films and this wonderful film. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you're a horror fan, there's something called Night of the Demon, which is an, one of the best British films of all time, or paradoxically directed by a French person. And it's exactly that. It's, a, it's a, you know, an American um, scientist coming over and slowly but surely, um, when he comes back to the old, the old country, his faith in, in science and everything 20th century then is completely shaken and witchcraft takes over. It's a wonderful film. Really, I totally recommend it. Um, but there are lots of other, I mean, even American Werewolf in London. And I love that yeah. idea that, y you know, somebody coming to a country we know so well just sees it in, completely, in a completely fresh way and not always... You know, I mean, quite disturbing, sort of looking at the seamy underbelly. Is that, was that your experience by any chance? <laughs> yes, I, I immediately went to the seedy underbelly. <laughs> you did, yes. Well, you're, you're on pop-ups. You must have done. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's true. I think, I think it's, it's, it, is a, it is an established thing, but it's being hmm. an outsider. Yeah. You're the outsider coming into this very insular world, and especially this world yeah. of... Um, history and all the political intrigue and stuff going on yeah. you're the outsider so you do look at it differently you don't necessarily just uh, defer to this person because they're respected so much you don't you know you don't have that that attitude so i think that's that's an interesting take to throw in yeah um of course that became home house Home house and uh, for a time very trendy, very trendy club, and uh, you couldn't you couldn't open a door without bumping into Madonna there. And Madonna, let me tell you, when Madonna goes through a door, she goes through the door, and she will go through you too if you are standing there. You get out of the way; she never gets out of the way for anybody else. Not entirely terribly popular member, I have to say, but anyway, it was it was uh, it was funky. It was funky while it lasted. Um, I'm wondering about first person here because obviously Patrick has lived this experience. Why is he writing the third person? Are we suggesting to him maybe he should think about first? Yeah, that'd be an interesting take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you can express more. You wouldn't have to have any of those qualifiers. You're just expressing things yeah. in your own head. And, yeah. Yeah. And relating the scene that you experienced it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mo. Let's look at the numbers now. And everybody has voted, and you've got a 65 so far. Might go up or down just a little bit more. But I think that means we actually do have a very clear winner today. Stonkingly big score. Congratulations, Galadriel. With Fell, that's the one to beat now. That and I, mean, I don't know how anyone's going to manage it, actually. But they may do. I've said that before. 
And I've been proven wrong before as well. So let's see what happens. It's all to play for next week's show. Um, uh, amazing show today. Enjoyed it no end. I hope you have too. Thank you so much to our fabulous guests, everybody behind the scenes. And can I tempt you? Maybe give us a little like on YouTube. It always helps, you know. See you next Sunday. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Big boys play.